Good morning. Welcome again to Morning Devotions, and thank you again so much for our time together. What a privilege and what a joy it is to just sit down with you and read the Word of God together, pray together, worship together, spend some time with the Lord together. So thank you for the privilege of allowing me into your home and just to be a part of your life. As we get started today, once in a while I get to read Psalms 91, so please allow me to read Psalms 91 to you today. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for I will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. Did you hear that? Shall be allowed. No plague come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Frontliners, every foot, every place you put your foot in that hospital, you're guarded by the angels of God. On their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him and I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Ah, oh, good stuff. All right, let's spend some time in prayer now. What I want us to pray about today is your restoration. For our offering thoughts the last few weeks, I've been talking to you about restoration, but remember the very first one I taught you, we must learn to pray for restoration. Three times in Psalms chapter 80, he teaches us to pray. Verse three, restore us, O God, let your face shine. Verse seven, restore us, O God of hosts, let your face shine that we may be saved. Verse 19, restore us, O God of hosts, let your face shine that we may be saved. Restore us, O Lord of hosts. Restore us. Psalms 126, verse 4. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Next weekend, my offering thought, I'm going to begin to teach you about the restoration of fortunes, how God restores the material things to our lives. But you know what? Everything happens because of prayer. And so let's learn to pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. We ask you to restore our fortunes. We ask you to restore all that this season has taken away, all the promotions, all the assets, all the time, all the health. Father, restore and restore twofold all that has been lost. Father, I pray for the businessmen and the businesswomen that have lost business during this time. It's like everything that they were working on has just put in, put in neutral. They can't move forward, they can't advance, and they can't go backwards. But Father, I ask in Jesus' name, as they put on their kaliga, 
as they put on the gospel and they begin a life of evangelism. Let that readiness, let that ability to advance of the gospel flow within their hearts and let their businesses begin to advance in the name of Jesus. Let their careers begin to advance in the name of Jesus. Father, I ask you in Jesus' name for all the money that has been lost in this time, all of the assets that have been lost. Forgive me, Lord, but all the money that's been wasted on PPEs and face masks and hand sanitizers and money that could have been used to buy in houses and building assets. Father, restore it in the name of Jesus. Everything Satan in these circumstances has destroyed in every family and in every business, let there be restoration. Father, your hand has been so beautiful upon our land for so many years. And you brought our nation out of poverty and our people were having such hope. Restore that hope into the hearts of our people. Father, your goodness leads men to repentance. Lord, in the name of Jesus, let that whole synergy begin to flow again. We're seeing so much evangelism taking place. People not getting saved out of fear of COVID, but people getting saved because of the goodness of God, the goodness of God leading them on a journey to a place of change, a place of repentance. Father, these circumstances in this season of darkness has brought about so much destruction. Father, I ask, restore. Restore the families. Restore the health. Restore the finances. Restore the time. Restore everything that has been lost twofold for every family, Father. Let them see the gracious hand of God. Let them see the gracious hand of God. Oh, let them see the gracious hand of God upon their lives. I pray for health, Father all those that have been hurt during this COVID thing. Let those lungs be strong again, Father. Let all that inflammation, Lord, that caused their arteries and stuff to start throwing blood clots and strokes happening. Father, just restore. Restore them to full health in Jesus' name. Full health, Father. You're Jehovah Rapha, the God that restores to original condition. Restore full health, Father. Full lung capacity, full heart capacity, full kidney function, full liver function. Father, in the name of Jesus, full mobility to those that have had strokes, full cognitive functions to those that have had strokes. Father, I thank you for full health restored to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's open up our hearts now and spend some time in worship.
Stay inside your
Our New Testament passage today, Paul is writing again to young Timothy, his son in the faith, and a pastor. So this is a, a letter from a man of God to a pastor. Timothy, the saying is trustworthy. Here, here's something that you can count on. And one of the things that you want to make a list of is trustworthy. This is one of those wonderful lists that you could make, all right? Just have a little journal, all the things that are trustworthy sayings. Some of them you find with Jesus, some with Paul. If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, he desires a noble task. All right, now this is the office of a pastor. He said, now if anybody has a desire to be a pastor, that des desire is a noble task. It is not just an office. Now notice the office, but it is also a task. See, there are many people that want the office. This they want. But this, not so much. They, they don't want the, the work. They want the office. And yet you find a lot of people today, they, they want the office of pastor. They want the office of overseer. But remember, the desire is for a task. It is for a job. It's something that is done. I think sometimes people forget that the ministry is about hard work. Paul said, I worked harder than them all. I love Paul. I worked harder than them all. I love Paul. He understood this is a task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. All right, let's start listing. Well, let's underline it first. Not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, but a lover of money. So, all right, a pastor must be above reproach. In other words, when people look at their life, they don't see flagrant sin. Now, every man of God has his faults. Every woman of God has their faults. I mean, there's nobody perfect but Jesus, but they're, they're above reproach. The husband of one wife, not one at a time, one wife, period. Sober-minded, that means they're, they're diligent in their thinking. Self-controlled, they, they live self-controlled. Respectable, hospitable, in other words, they, can, they, they like to entertain and help other people. Not a drunkard, not violent. Now they'll be angry. Jesus got angry, but not violent. Gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. These are things that are qualifications. Qualifications for ministry. He must manage his own household well. Now let's keep going on these. Number them. Three, four, five. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. Now, it did not say keeping his children obedient, but submissive. Now, brothers and sisters, there's a big difference between obedience and submission. You can dominate people and make them obedient, but submissive, it flows from their hearts. So you have to keep your children with a heart of submission. Now, forgive me, that takes more finesse than obedience. Uh, think about that one for a bit. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? In other words, 
if you've got a family that are all off living in rebellion and, and in the clubs and drinking and all kinds of stuff, I mean, how can you care for God's church? If you can't even raise your own children to be submissive, how, how can you, you care for the church? He must not be a recent convert, okay? Now, here's one of the great faults that people have. You know, all of my life, I've watched famous people get born again, okay? Avand, uh, Holyfield, Bakyao, and, and all of these famous people get born again. And then immediately, preachers start to take them and put them on their platforms to testify and put them on their platforms to minister just because they're famous. Now, now brothers and sisters, too often. Now, with brother with Pacquiao, I'm very, very happy. He, everybody tells me he's serving God more than he has ever served God before. So that is that is hallelujah. But I've watched too many that didn't make it. Now, he must not be a recent convert, or he may, not will, but he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Now, in, in much of the modern church today, they take a, a successful businessman who gets saved and then they say, all right, you're going to be a pastor because you're a successful businessman and uh, people will follow you because you're a successful businessman. And too often they become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. You have to let people grow for a while. So what Paul here is saying is, let them grow. Let, let them grow in God. Let them make all the baby Christian mistakes, not in the spotlight of everybody else. Let them... Let them fall down and stumble a few times and learn to find their Christian feet, so to speak, and let them grow. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. So, you know, pastors have to pay their bills. You know, they have to be well thought of by outsiders. Now, straight up, the main thing that causes outsiders of the church to think badly about preachers is they don't pay their bills. That's, that's the number one issue you hear about. Pastors have this idea, well, I'm serving God, so I don't have to pay my bills. I'm living by faith. No, you need to pay your bills. Deacons, now we're talking about somebody else. This is, we've been talking about pastors. Now we're talking about deacons. Deacons must likewise be dignified, not double-tongued. In other words, they say what they mean and mean what they say. Okay, they're, they're not, we would call this two-faced today. All right, so they need to be dignified. A deacon needs to be dignified, what we would call a CS or an ECS. They need to be dignified, not double-tongued. They need oh, they can't be people who, you know, they say one thing and then they go out and say something else after the board meeting. Not addicted to too much wine. Wow. You know, there are some people that we had to remove because they had to go home and have their bottle of wine every night. Not greedy for dishonest gain. Now notice, dishonest gain. Now, dishonest gain can come from not paying your employees properly to uh, paying bribes to receiving bribes to whatever, all right? Not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of faith with a clear conscience, okay? They have to know that they've been living right. Now, yeah, maybe they make mistakes, but they have to know that they've been living right. You, you can't make decisions and leadership in the body of Christ unless you know that you're living right. Also, let them... Be tested first. Emphasis on the word first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. All right? So a deacon should be tested first. A CS should be tested first. This is why we look to see, all right, are, 
Are these deacons doing good as a connect group leaders? Are they doing good in their uh, fellowships? Are they doing good in their departments? Let them first be tested, okay? Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, all right? Now, this is a deacon's wife. A deacon's wife must also be dignified, not a slanderer, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Now, notice, a CS's wife, an ECS's wife or husband must be dignified, not slanderers. See, because they hear all the dirt going on in the church. Okay, I mean, in leadership, you got to deal with the dirt. And I'm sorry, but it's just, you're dealing with people's lives, and people's lives are sometimes messy. Now, if they, they take that information out and begin to slander other people, no, disqualified. But sober-minded. In other words, they're thinking clearly. They're thinking in a very logical fashion. Faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husband of one wife, not one at a time. Managing their own children and managing their household well. All right, so this concerns their children and their household. If they can't manage their own kids, they can't manage their own household, they can't lead in the body of Christ. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Here's the reward. Now, to be honest, being an ECS is sometimes a very thankless position because people have, you have to make decisions and people get mad at you and people don't like this and people don't like that. So you know what? God gives deacons a promise. Good standing. Great confidence. God does things for them because of how they have served. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. All right, he said, now listen. This is, this is how the church should be run, okay? How to run church. He said, Timothy, you're a young pastor. Let me teach you how to run things. Let me teach you how to run leadership in the church, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. All right, here's the purpose of the church. Now, we don't hear much about pillars and buttresses in today's architecture, but you know, if you, if you go to some of the ancient churches in uh, France, some of those really old churches in Italy, you, you see them. Uh, the walls are made up like this. And, and you know what? I forgot to turn this on, so I'll turn it on now. I'm sorry. I forgot to turn on the screen. We got a lot of writing there, so let me put it up there for you. I'm sorry. All right. If, if in, in a lot of the ancient churches, you'll see them built like this. Now, this is a pillar. And then they run these things off to the side that hold those old churches up. This is a buttress. So a pillar and a buttress, and the purpose of this pillar and buttress in the spiritual church is truth. The church does not change the Bible. The church does not change truth. We are the pillar and support of the truth. All right? Pillar and buttress. We are the pillar and support of the truth. So, you know, when people say, well, you know, the Bible is not applicable today. It's, it's very outdated. It's very outmoded. Truth is never outdated. 
Truth, is, tr truth never becomes irrelevant. The role of the church is to teach truth. You know, people say today, oh, Pastor Summer, you really can't talk about premarital sex because, you know, it's a new day and, you know, people are just doing things. And yeah, I can talk about premarital sex, excuse me, because the Bible teaches it. It's not my job to try to conform to society. And this is one of the greatest challenges in the modern church. The church wants to be acceptable to the world. The, ch the church wants the world to accept it. I'm sorry, we are not going to be accepted by the world. Instead, we want to be accepted by heaven. So we, we want to, to be the pillar and support of truth. In this world, we shine like stars in the night. We don't join the darkness. We don't say, I want to be like the darkness. We don't want to say, all right, I'm going to dress like, like the world because I want the world to accept me. And I'm going to get tattoos all over my face because I want the world to accept me. I want to look cool. I, I, we're going to play secular music and we're going to do Lady Gaga and, and, and Coldplay in church because we want the world to think that it's cool to be in church. No, we want to be the pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He, Jesus, was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, by the resurrection, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations. This is just a beautiful list of Jesus. Believed on in the world, taken up in the glory. <laughs> this is a beautiful thing here. Look at this is Jesus, manifested in the flesh, born of a virgin, vindicated by the Spirit, raised by the power of the Spirit, seen by angels, went into heaven, cleansed the heavenly holy of holies, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in the glory. That, forgive me, is a one, two, three, four, five, six-part series sermon. <laughs> Maybe I'll do that six-part series sermon one day. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship. Keeper of my heart, Father of 
Testament passage today picks up with Jeremiah chapter 26, verse 1. And let me click over right away so I don't forget. To our split screen. In the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came from the Lord. Now, the Old Testament prophets were very, very strong about the source of their revelation. Revelation can come from demons, it can come from people, it can come from eating too much balut the night before. Thus says the Lord, stand in the court of the Lord's house and speak to all the cities of Judah that come to worship in the house of the Lord. All the words that I command you to speak to them. Do not hold back a word. Now, there's the source. Here is the responsibility. I can get my pen to work. Here is the responsibility. Do not hold back a word. It may be that they will listen. <laughs> and everyone turn from his evil ways. That I may relent of the disaster that I intend to do to them because of their evil days. Now, now, now notice, here's mercy. This is mercy. He said, maybe they'll listen. I'm sending you to speak. Maybe they'll listen. And he said, then if, if they listen and they turn from their evil ways... Mercy flows. You shall say to them, thus says the Lord, if you will not listen to me to walk in my law that I have set before you and listen to all the words of my servants, the prophets whom I send to you urgently, though you have not listened. Now notice he said, uh, here, here, is, here is a key word here. I sent to you urgently. He said, you were, you're in trouble. So I sent my prophets to you, although you have not listened. Then I will make this house like Shiloh and I will make this city a curse among all the nations of the earth. Now, what does it mean to make this house like Shiloh? Shiloh is where the tabernacle in the wilderness spent like 300, 350 years. And then it was completely wiped out and devastated and burned to the ground by the enemies of Israel. In part because the sons of Eli, in part because of, of corruption in the house of God. He said because, you know, Eli tolerated his son's corruption. He said, I'll make this house like Shiloh. I'll, it'll just be devastated. And I will make this city a curse for all the nations of the earth. The priests and the prophets and all the people heard Jeremiah speaking these words in the house of God. So the priests, the prophets, and the people. And when Jeremiah had finished speaking all that the Lord had commanded him to speak, now notice there's that responsibility. 
all that the Lord had commanded him to speak to all the people. Then the priests and the prophets and all the people laid hold of him, saying, You shall die. <laughs> now, folks, you have to you have to understand. The word either makes you glad or it makes you mad. When the when you hear the word of God, it makes you glad or it makes you mad. So when you hear a sermon and it's making you mad, you need to soften your heart because God's trying to say something to you. Why have you prophesied in the name of the Lord, saying, This house shall be like Shiloh, and this city shall be desolate without an inhabitant? And all the people gathered around Jeremiah in the house of the Lord. When the officials of Judah heard these things, they came up from the king's house to the house of the Lord and took their seat in the entry of the new gate of the house of the Lord. Then the priests and the prophets said to the officials and to all the people, This man deserves the sentence of death, because he has prophesied against this city, as you have heard with your own ears. Then Jeremiah spoke to all the officials and all the people, saying, The Lord has sent me to prophesy against this house and against this city all the words you have heard. Now, therefore, mend your ways, obey the voice of the Lord your God, and the Lord will relent of the disaster that he has pronounced again. Here is the offer of mercy. But as for me, behold, I'm in your hands. Do with me as seems right, as seems good and right to you. Only know for certain that if you put me to death, you will bring innocent blood upon yourselves and upon the city and its inhabitants. For in truth, the Lord sent me to speak to you all these words in your ears. Then the officials and all the people said to the priests and the prophets, This man does not deserve the sentence of death, for he has spoken to us in the name of the Lord our God. Wow. So the officials... And all the people said to the priests and the prophets. All right, now here <laughs> we see what we call a little bit of envy taking place. These priests and prophets wanted to destroy Jeremiah because he had the true word of God. Be careful when you see preachers wanting to destroy other preachers. And a certain of the elders of the land arose and spoke to the assembled people saying, Micah of Maresheth prophesied in the days of Hezekiah, king of Judah, and said to all the people of Judah, Thus says the Lord, Zion shall be plowed as a field, and Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins, and the mountain of the, the mountain of the house a wooded height. Did Hezekiah, king of Judah, and all Judah put him to death? Did he not fear the Lord and entreat the favor of the Lord? And did not the Lord relent of the disaster he had pronounced against them? But we are to bring great disaster upon ourselves. There was another man who prophesied in the name of the Lord, Uriah, the son of Shemaiah of Kiriath-Jerim. He prophesied against this city and against this land in words like those of Jeremiah. And when Jehoiakim and all his warriors and all his officials heard his words, the king sought to put him to death. But when Uriah heard it, he was afraid and fled to Egypt. Then Jehoiakim sent to Egypt certain men, Elnathan, the son of Akbor, and others with him. And they took Uriah from Egypt and brought him to King Jehoiakim, who struck him down with the sword and dumped his dead body in the burial place of the common people. But the hand of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, was also with Jeremiah, so he was not given over to be put to death. Chapter 27, verse 1. You see, men of God who speak truth to a rebellious people are never popular. Chapter 27, verse 1. In the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Again, here's the source, all right? 
He's not making this stuff. He's not eating too much balloon or pizza the night before. Thus the Lord said to me, Make yourself straps and yoke bars and put them on your neck. Send word to the king of Edom, the king of Moab, the king of the sons of Ammon, the king of Tyre, and the king of Sidon, by the hand of the envoys who have come to Jerusalem to Zedekiah the king. Give them this charge for their masters. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, this is what you shall say to your masters. It is I who by my great power and my outstretched arm have made the earth with the men and the animals that are on the earth. And I give it to whomever it seems right to me. So God, God allots the nations. God allots the nations. Now I have given all these lands into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. That's funny. You just never liked that, but it's a reality. He calls Nebuchadnezzar his servant. And I have given him also the beasts of the field to serve him. All the nations shall serve him and his son and his grandson. All right, so we have three generations. Until the time his own land comes. Then many nations and great kings shall make him their slave. So three generations, and then it turns around. But if any nation or kingdom will not serve this Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon and put its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon, I will punish that nation with the sword, with famine, and with pestilence, declares the Lord, until I have consumed it by his hand. So do not listen to your prophets, your diviners, your dreamers, your fortune tellers, your sorcerers, who are saying to you, you shall not serve the king of Babylon. For it is a lie they are prophesying to you. All right. With the result that you will be removed far from your land and I will drive you out and you will perish. Now, he said, now listen, if you'd done what I told you, you'd stay in the land. And he says this to all these other nations. But you're driven out of the land because you won't listen. But any nation that will bring its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him, I will leave on its own land to work it and dwell there, declares the Lord. He said, now listen, you're just going to have to be patient with this. To Zedekiah, king of Judah, I spoke in like manner. Bring your necks under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him and his people and live. Why will you and your people die by the sword? by famine, by pestilence, as the Lord has spoke concerning any nation that will not serve the king of Babylon. Do not listen to the words of the prophets who are saying to you, you shall not serve the king of Babylon, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. They are prophesying falsely in my name with the result that I will drive you out and perish, you and your prophets who are prophesying to you. All right, so here's false prophecy. Here's false prophecy. God doesn't send them, and they prophesy falsely, and the result is judgment. Then I spoke to the priests and to all this people. Now notice, now he's speaking to the priests. Thus says the Lord, do not listen to the words of your prophets who are prophesying to you. Behold, the vessels of the Lord's house will now shortly be brought back from Babylon, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you. Do not listen to them. Serve the king of Babylon and live. Why should this city become a desolation? Now, th th this is important. These vessels that have been taken up the last time Nebuchadnezzar attacked Jerusalem, um, you know what? God had a time that these would be brought back, and that would be during Zerubbabel and Haggai when they came to rebuild the temple and Ezra. That, that whole, whole season there, this is when God was bringing everything back. 
So God had a plan, all right? Do not listen to them. Serve the king of Babylon and live. Why should this city become a desolation? If they are prophets, and if the word of the Lord is with them, then let them intercede with the Lord of hosts, that the vessels that are left in the house of God, in the house of the king of Judah, and in Jerusalem may not go to Babylon. He said, if they're really prophets, let them pray that no more will be lost. He said, I'm going to bring back those that were lost, but I'll do that in my time. But he said, you need to pray that there's no more loss. For thus says the Lord of hosts concerning the pillars, the sea, the stands, and the rest of the vessels that are left in this city, which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, did not take away when he took into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and all the nobles of Judah and Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, concerning the vessels that are left in the house of the Lord, in the house of the king of Judah and Jerusalem. They shall be carried to Babylon and remain there until the day that I visit them, declares the Lord. Then I will bring them back and restore them to this place. Sometimes you just have to trust that God is in control. All right. Tonight, we're going to be teaching again on there is no condemnation in Christ. We'll see you tonight at seven o'clock.